Welcome to Que Pasa HSIs, a podcast dedicated to everything Hispanic serving institutions. I'm your host, Dr. Gina Ann Garcia, bringing you the news on what's happening in HSIs. Join us as we explore the history and evolution of HSIs, culturally relevant and liberatory practices, current and emerging research with HSIs, and the policies that shape servingness. Saludos, HSI familia, and welcome back to the show. Today, we are talking to students, scholars, and activists from UC Riverside, including Arlene Cano Matute, Assistant Director of Chicano Student Programs, and new doctora from the Higher Education Administration and Policy Program at UCR. (laughs) We can clap for that. She also serves as PI for the Encuentros Student Participatory Action Research and Testimonials Research Project, documenting the historical and present day experiences and trajectories of Chicano, Chicana, and Chicanex and Latino, Latina, Latinx students at UCHSRIs, and is joined by um, a group of students who worked on the project with her, including Alexis Mesa, graduate coordinator at NYU Office of Diversity, Equity, and Belonging, and MA candidate in higher education at NYU. Ashley Diaz, dual language emergent elementary school tutor and poeta storyteller. Brenda De Angel Vega, aspiring physician centering grief, loss and healing, and Bibiana Canales, aspiring student affairs professional. Thank you all for joining me on Que Pasa HSIs, where we talk about all things HSIs. To get us started, let's go ahead and hear from y'all. Let's first hear about y'all's higher education journey. And I think we're going to start with Ashley. Thank you, Dr. Gina, uh, for having us here. We are really excited to be in your podcast. We're honored. And yeah, thank you for opening a space for student voices, along with quien más que Arlene Cano Matute. So thank you for this opportunity. Uh, I want to mention that we are together at the Office of Chicano Student Programs at UC Riverside. We are calling in from Riverside, which is Cahuilla, Tongva, Luiseño, and Serrano land. And yeah, we are intentionally meeting at our mesa at the conference room at CSP where we started. And by starting, I mean, this was the first place where we held our first class ever. So just visualize 12 students in a limited space sharing our stories for the first time. So just mentioning that, thank you for that. Um, My name is Ashley Diaz. I am a Chicanx poeta from the borderlands of Calexico, California and Mexicali, Baja California, Mexico. I graduated in 2022 from UC Riverside with a triple bachelor's degree. Um, You worded your question really intentionally using the words access to completion. And my access story is genuine because 17% of Calexicans, people from my community, only 17% attend a BA or something higher. And this says a lot regarding accessibility of communities of color in higher education. So for me to get a BA, a triple BA, um, was a revolutionary step, not only for me, but for my familia as a first-generation scholar and for my comunidad. And um, for me, this is where my Nepantlera comes into play because my access to higher education, me getting here, was a motivo, a pump for me to create a bridge between UCR and all the way back to mi familia beyond the border in Mexicali. So I chose UCR out of suerte. My initial goal back in the days was just to leave home, um, find better opportunities, because that's something that lacks a lot in the Imperial Valley and Mexicali. 
And so siempre tenía like un plan para seguir avanzando and education was that for me. I didn't know how or who or what, but I definitely knew that based on my environment, that the only way to make it in my comunidad, as a daughter of a single parent, low income, farm working community, I had to do better. So my access portion. Regarding to my completion, it's crucial for me to mention how I would have not graduated and triple majored in Spanish literature, education, and psychology if I would have not had a support system of Chicano student programs. There's a reason why we at the Centro call this space a home away from home. And thanks to Arlene, Estela, Alice, ah, we just started, y'all. <laughs> Fueron esas personas um, who supported me, not only to survive the institution, but to thrive. Um, Student-led arts like Teatro Quinto Sol, which is a artivist, art and activist um, organization here at UCR. And Mencha was where I found my, my part of the equation, my artistic outlet, and I found community too. So learning this sense of community at CSP and UCR further connects me ganas to become an educator and go back to my community. That's right. Thank you. <laughs> You're amazing, Ashley. And like, I just want to say that I truly appreciate you so much, friend. Um, <laughs> hello, doctora, <laughs> um, and everyone listening. Um, my name is Alexis Mesa. I grew up in Baldwin Park, California, a predominantly Latino, low-income community um, in the San Gabriel Valley. And I graduated from UCR in 2022 as a 50th class I graduated in class where I earned my two BAs in psychology and education. My senior year, I was accepted to NYU for my master's degree in higher education and student affairs. And I moved to New York City and expanded my horizon both professionally and academically. And I came into higher education truly looking for something, but I didn't know what that was. You know, the moment when I found that definition is when I joined the RASA graduation committee as a freshman. In that committee, I created videos of graduating Chicanx Latinx students walking with their regalia on campus while capturing their stories. And in caretaking those stories is when I knew why I came into higher education. And throughout my undergraduate career, I co-organized with students of color on outreach conferences, we had empowerment workshops, uh, Rasa graduation ceremonies, you know, initiatives that are historic for CSP and UCR. And, you know, Chicano student programs motivated me to keep going and honoring my process with Cariño. And if it wasn't for the professional staff, Estela, Arlene, Alice, the student staff, our students, I wouldn't be here talking with all of you today. And, you know, it is that spirit, that fire that inspired me to go to NYU and to continue this tradition, this labor of love that this community and this office taught me. And I will continue to carry that fire, that spirit into every space I enter as my journey in higher education continues. So hi everyone, my name is Brenda, pronoun she, her, Ella. So I actually was born in Mexico and I came to the States back in 1999. I was two years old at the time. Um, when I came to the US, I was raised in predominantly low income communities. And because of that, I didn't know that I was undocumented until I was in my senior year in high school. And that's really when my life um, was both impacted, impacted and changed because the plan I had in mind had just completely vanished my hands. And so as a first gen, a woman of color with DACA status, my journey from access to completion really started at my community college where I both had to very quickly accept that I was about to start a non-traditional path 
my parents, I knew my parents weren't going to have the means to financially be able to support my higher, my higher ed plans. And on top of that, I had to figure out what it meant to be undocumented and live undocumented in America with now a DACA status. And so when I came into community college at Santa Monica, um, I went into I went I went into campus being a pre-med bio major, but that changed really quickly when I realized that I didn't have to take a traditional route to get to medicine. And so I ended up taking an anthropology course with one of my favorite all-time professors, Karen Brewster, who is still teaching at the institution. And I really fell in love with physical and forensic anthropology. And it it, it was just a matter of time to switch my major, which is exactly what I did. And and again, it it added to my journey with like being a non-traditional student. And so very quickly, I realized again that I was willing to change, challenge the norm. And so I switched my major to anthropology. Um, at the time, I was also a commuter student. I would commute two hours a day. And so in order for me to make the best of that commute, I would have to stay on campus from the morning to the night. Um, you know, I learned the importance in the process of, of getting involved and having access with like student-led programs. Um, I was very active on campus as well with undocumented and Latinx group efforts. And so because my SMC journey um, was non-traditional, I spent four years at SMC because I changed my major. At the time, I was also going through um, a relationship violence experience. It really impacted me personally and mentally. Um, like I said, I was commuting. Um, I was a full-time student and I was also working part-time jobs and it was very, very difficult. So because I knew being a transfer student was already difficult, I made it a purpose to um, live a lot closer to campus once I transferred. And so when I was in my last year at SMC, I was able to obtain my certified nursing assistant license through a small vocational school called American Medical Careers. And I work with um, skilled nursing facilities. And that was really my introduction to palliative care, hospice care, which over time became a specialty that I hope to pursue in medicine in the near future. And so at SMC, I graduated with an Associates of Arts in Anthropology in 2019, and then transferred to UCR in fall of 2019. And so I really came to UCR because they offered the best financial aid package. At the time, I was still not HSI conscious. You know, I really wanted a change of environment. Um, I wanted to live really close to campus. And so currently residing in Riverside, you know, I knew still that my parents were going to be able to support me financially. So I figured it out. I, I figured it out some way, somehow. And so because the coursework at SMC was very rigorous, academically at UCR, I was thriving. And so really my only purpose at UCR was to enjoy, enjoy my time there, still get involved, um, and really try to engage with programs that were anti-free labor. Um, so I wasn't willing to volunteer my time. I was determined to still be engaged and do meaningful work, but I needed to be compensated. And I knew what I was coming to UCR for. I knew what I deserved coming to UCR and I knew what I was looking for. And so academically and opportunity wise, you know, I, I really, at my community college, I learned how to self-advocate for myself. And so that's when I started getting engaged in, in student-led efforts. And so I really, when I transferred to UCR, I started with transfer-based work where I worked with Trans Transfers First, which is a community that helps transfer students and non-traditional students really bridge the gap between like community college and attending UC because there is a culture shock. You know, it is, um, you're going from sometimes a, a semester system to a quarter system and really helping students, mentoring them, guiding them. And so I was with them for a year. And then I, I led on to working with 
um, at the Academic Resource Center as a, as a mentor for two years and really dedicated my time to mentoring students because that's really how I got to where I am right now. And then I did some orientation leader work over the summer and really work with student, student um, parents, um, Spanish speaking communities. And, and then from there, I en ended up working with the Women's Resource Center as a student worker. And you know, I engaged in paid internships, like anywhere from like mental health to like advocacy. So at my, in my last year at UCR, it was that was really the time when I engaged with CSP because I was really interested in the co-research position called Encuentro Student Participatory Action Research and Testimonials, which was heart-led by Dr. Elin Matute. And that's really where my HSI consciousness began. And so because of all of that, I spent three years at UCR and I'm very intentional about honoring that because the journey was very non-traditional and I was very okay with it. And I, I didn't want to hit the ground running. I took it 12 units at a time. I wanted to enjoy every moment of my transfer experience. I took up as much space as I, as I wanted to, as I could, while also honoring that there was a quarter in my journey at UCR where I had to take three units because I, had, I was going through a significant and a tragic loss in my life. And so it was very important that even though I was a student and even though I had things outside of that um, happening, I really wanted to honor what was currently happening in my life because we're not just students. We're not just human beings, you know, like we have all, a lot of things happening in our life. And I feel like we owe that to ourselves to honor those moments. And so when I graduated UCR, that was in 2020, I graduated with um, the 50th anniversary of Raza Grad with a bachelor's of science in anthropology, a minor in sociology. And I consider myself to be a non-traditional pre-med student. Thank you, Brenda, for being so vulnerable with us. I appreciate it. And our listeners for sure appreciate it. So thank you. We need to hear, we need to hear people's stories for sure. First off, like thank all of y'all for like just being vulnerable and for being honest because it's hard, you know, it's hard to, to open up in spaces and just talk about everything that Lake has been talked about. And we only are on the first question and we're already right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I was going to, just for a second, go back to what Ashley said about how, like, this is where we first, like, started our meetings and everything. And I think it's so beautiful because apart from this, like, room, like, this space is where we all met and where we all made personal bonds and grew as scholars and as people and everything. And it's our home and y'all are my home. And I just, I was like, oh, <laughs> I was already crying. <laughs> but um, my name is Viviana Canales. Um, feel free to call me Vivi. My pronouns are she, her, hers, they, them, theirs. Uh, my hometown is actually Riverside, so I'm from a community called Rubido. It's next to the Santa Ana River on the other side of Riverside. Um, but it's really interesting because I didn't actually learn about UCR till I was in high school, and it was through a program called Upward Bound. Um, and it was through that that I got to really like learn about like higher education a little. But even then, like I was, I knew that UCR was like my top school because I was like, ooh, <laughs> I was like, it's nice here. <laughs> um, but I wasn't sure like what specifically I wanted to do. I just knew that like I wanted to lead with care and with love. And I knew that I cared about people, but I wasn't sure how exactly to go about that. Um, and so I came in as undeclared um, CHAS, which is College Humanities and Arts, Arts and Social Sciences. Um, and so when I was first starting, like that was a good starting point for me because I knew I needed to search for what I wanted. Um, but I actually graduated along with everyone else. <laughs> um, this past year, I got my BA in Ethnic Studies, BS in Sustainability Studies, and a minor in Labor Studies. Um, and it was through like being involved with Chicano student programs and organizations and research that I really got there. 
Um, but I identify as a first-generation student. Um, I'm system impacted, so I have um, siblings that were and are incarcerated in the system. And so that has always been something that's impacted me. Um, and so when I was first coming to UCR, like this was all unfamiliar ground, um, but my sister, Christina, who's a year older than me, was actually the one that introduced me to the space. Um, so she had already kind of knew a few people here. Um, and, you know, just by coming into the space, like I could already tell I was gonna feel safe here. Um, and it's the people who were seniors at the time, people who were second, third, fourth year students who took the time and sat with me and asked me questions and just were, you know, they wanted to know about me and they wanted to help me build that critical consciousness. Um, and apart from the students, it was the staff at Chicano student programs. I remember like having questions and just being like, Alice, Arlene, Estela, please help me. <laughs> and, you know, they would drop everything to like really help me out and guide me. And I appreciate them so much for that. Um, but also like I was a part of like organizations and my first year I didn't have the opportunity to join anything because I was adjusting because you know I was trying to figure out my own like mental health like I wanted to make sure I was in a good place before I put my work and my labor into anywhere else and so I joined organizations like the Pero Quinto Sol with Ashley I was a part of Underground Scholars Initiative which is an organization focused on advocating for and supporting students who are formerly incarcerated and system impacted and also others in the community um, and then I was a part of programs like Trio Scholars, um, which is like kind of like an extension of Upward Bound. And then I was a part of research, like the study through project. And I was really intimidated at first because I didn't know a lot about HSIs. But, you know, I think I remember when Arlene was first starting out and she was creating a, po a poster, a flyer for it. <laughs> and she asked me, like, you know, do you know anything about this? Like, would you be interested? And I was like, I don't know. I was like, I'm shy. <laughs> and, you know, I just asked a question and she always was able to like, you know, be there for me. And, you know, she took the time to sit with all of us and teach us, you know, what are HSIs? What is the history? Like, how is it connected to Riverside as a whole and the IE and other institutions as well? Um, and it was through that, that like, I think it really helped me in Espiritu and through like being involved with Chicano student programs to understand and to honor like the memories that I have in my family and in my own personal life and that motivated me to go and like complete you know my degree and everything um but yeah I would say like it was really beautiful that I was able to be a part of Chicano student programs and everyone in this room because I was able to not be afraid to be vulnerable and not be afraid to like participate in things like Semana de la Mujer which is a week where we honor um the memories and like the women in our lives and the femmes in our lives and so like I brought my own mom to the university which I thought was something that like I was never going to be able to do I got to bring photos of like my sister and my abuelita like who unfortunately passed away last year and you know those memories and those bonds like stuck with me and like they led to me being where I am now and all the people in this room <laughs> um but yeah I would say those like the people in this room Arlene, Alice Estela and Ashley, Alexis, Brenda, um, they really helped me like get to where I'm at right now. And I'm not done with school yet. <laughs> I'm hoping to apply <laughs> to the master's in higher education. Um, and it's really out of love that I wanna do that and in, in, in honoring my sister and my brother um, by providing resources to the community. And I think if it wasn't for the love that Espiritu taught me to love <laughs> and preserve and the memories, <laughs> I think, I wouldn't be here.
I appreciate the space. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I love hearing all your stories because this is like, um, we don't always have uh, people, students who went to Hispanic serving institutions and like just four stories we just heard are very different, right? And this idea of serving students is hard as it is, but then, I mean, there's only four of y'all and you all have very different stories. So thank you for sharing that. I think it's challenge for folks like me who think about this all the time, but like, how do you serve students who have these very disparate um, stories? So, so thank you. And thank you for being so vulnerable um, with your stories. Well, we've heard a lot about Arlene already, but let's let's hear from Arlene, doctora. <laughs> your, your turn. <laughs> well, I'm just I'm surrounded by amazing, amazing, brilliant scholars that I just I wake up and I make a decision every single day to serve, and it's because of them. And so I'm so thankful. Um, I'm not gonna look because I they know I'm a chiona, um, but <laughs> <Chingona>. my name's <laughs> chingona. That's true. Yes. Um, my name's Arlinka Namatute, my pronouns are she, her, hers, and ella, and I think just hearing, you know, this is a platica, this is a dialogue with our students, you know, Ashley started us off by saying, like, we're all at the table, and that's how it should be, figuratively, literally, spiritually, we're all at the table, and we're here surrounded by each other, we're holding space for each other, we're taking up space together, and I was really struck by something that Brenda shared about knowing that you deserve this, right? And I think sometimes in HSI journeys, like we, we don't get to that point until our last year, um, right? If we even get there, right? And so coming in, knowing what we deserve, mm-hmm. right? Knowing what we will not settle for, right? We won't settle for the crumbs anymore. Um, and so I think that that's how I found myself here at UCR is knowing what I would not settle for. Um, I'm a second generation mother scholar, I was raised in a community college. Uh, my mom went back to school as a former gang member with three kids, single mother. Um, and I grew up in Imperial Valley, California. I went to IBC, the community <laughs> college there. And if it wasn't for the childcare that they had available, that I wouldn't probably be here today. So I grew up going to, you know, seeing my mom uh, navigate the school system as a single parent um, in poverty, et cetera, right? And, and just growing up in a border community and having an incarcerated father as well. And so I think kind of growing up in this carceral system that impacts our family. So I'm definitely system impacted. And so having to navigate what that meant, knowing that I grew up in an environment where nunca me faltó nada, which means I never right missed mm-hmm. out on anything. I had everything that I needed. I may not have always had stability or what I construed as stability, right? Which I learned later. <laughs> that that's what it was, but I had it at home. I had love. That's where I grew. That's how I base my practice today, um, is that abundance of love, that that nurturing. And so, yeah, I navigated that system in, in my beloved border community that Ashley and I hail from. And we scream it to the rooftops because there's not a lot of us that leave the valley, right? It's a heavily campesino environment, um, heavily policed. Um, and so it's really important for us to talk about, you know, what it means to to leave the valley, but also keeping the valley in our corazones, right? And, and making sure that we always go back to serve the valley, because there's many places that look like the Imperial Valley with desperate resources, right? And in, in high need of service. And so I'm always going to represent the Imperial Valley, but 
Yes, mm-hmm. that was that was my foundation. My path to conocimiento is is my familia. Um, now, as a second generation, you know, mother scholar, I I came to UCR and I was like, okay, I know, I know about college. I've seen my mom do it. I sat in her classes, right? As as a you know eight year old, they're hanging out in her classes, and she took time to you know transfer, which took her a while, and then eventually get her bachelor's. And so I thought I knew. Um, and then I came to UC Riverside and it's like, did you really know? Right. And so I think what helped me was that there was this bienvenida. Um, so Chicano student programs always offers this welcome event to just welcome the community and build comunidad from the inception, in addition to their incredible outreach work. And I remember that I signed up for my first club, which I know they don't always recommend you to do, <laughs> but I'm like, signed up. I heard Mecha. Movimiento Estudiantil Chicanexia Aslan, the UCR speak. And I was like thirsty for those words. I was hungry for that, right? I, I felt that this hunger I didn't know that I, I needed and I signed up right away. And that was my path to critical consciousness and being a, a really socio-politically conscious scholar and activist. So it was my training ground before I knew kind of what that was. And through Mecha, I joined other organizations. I'm alum to some of the ones that were already shared, um, but I found my way to Chicano student programs and I, I really found a home and, and the names that we've shared, like those are the names that also stayed with me. Like those were my tias, my tios, my primos, my primas. Like it's it's a home, but it's also this familia that, that que nos brindan, um, the people of Chicano student programs. So why I gravitated to this is because not only did they speak the language or they said the right things, but they, their words, right, gravitated with me, but their actions were powerful. I saw them in the community doing the work. I saw them doing the outreach initiatives. And I'm like, I want to be a part of that. I want to give back and I don't want to wait. I don't need a degree to give back. I want to give back now. And I think that that was absolutely powerful because what I was learning inside of the classroom, I was implementing in praxis. And that's what that's how I've navigated um, UC Riverside. So I was a, an ethnic studies with a concentration in Chicano studies um, and a political science and law and society double major. I thought I wanted to be an immigration attorney or some sort of attorney. And I realized quickly <laughs> that that was not my career path, although it's really important to be mindful of the law um, and to be mindful of policies that don't serve our communities. I thought that my my fire could be utilized elsewhere. And so I found myself into student affairs, right, um, in a really natural, accidental way, as I'm sure a lot of us do. But more importantly, I found my identity. I identify as a Chicana Netantlera, building bridges and thriving in the in-between. I can exist and resist in an institution because I'm such a part of this space. Um, I feel that I'm able to challenge it because I'm able to create action that changes it, right? I'm committed to serving UC Riverside and the larger Inland Empire community. Um, I'm a student affairs practitioner now. So after I graduated, I went on to get my master's in higher ed and I thought that was it right? I'm done with school. And this cultural intuition, this voice that, you know, we, we need to listen to, we need to be able to right. harness our core, told me that I wasn't done with school yet. And I was a mom of two little babies. And I was like, no, there is no space for me. I don't see myself. I don't see mothers in academia. I don't see mothers who work full time in academia. And then I thought of my mother. And I was like, if Maria did it, so could I. So I applied, I hit send. 
I got accepted. And this June, I graduated with my PhD in higher education administration and policy yes. with my twin by my side and my familia by my side. All these students, all the community, and my mom was right there front row. And so I think of myself as a mother scholar activist. I think of myself as an embodiment of what serving should look like, um, what it means to be of service, right? And what it means to challenge the institution and, and work for la comunidad for liberation. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm here. That's what grounds me. Um, and yeah, I, I'm so thankful to be here. Thank you, Lucera Garcia, for extending this opportunity, for making this possible. And you get to just a little glimpse of <laughs> the maquia that I get to work with every single day. You're making me want to go work there. I was like, can I get a job? Like, y'all have this just beautiful connection. <laughs> y'all got this beautiful connection. And it's just so, I mean, I, I can feel it, right? Um, and the listeners uh, don't know, but y'all are all together, right? In a, in a room. And it's just so beautiful. Um, so thank you for that. Those are all beautiful stories. Um, some of y'all have already touched on this idea of serving this. So let's talk about that. Um, and, and tell us a little bit more about how you came to consciousness, right? There's this idea of consciousness around servingness. Um, I know y'all know Doctora Cynthia Villarreal, um, and she, you know, she talks about this 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 uh, path to conocimiento around consciousness, right? Like um, around HSI consciousness. So tell us a little bit about that. Like, how did you come to know um, HSI? Yes, yeah, so in our class, you know, we learned from all the wonderful scholars um, presently and historically about how we've defined servingness. And so our, our research project was a collaborative experience where we had an opportunity to talk with the elders on some of the work that they were doing. And so we went back to the core in the 1960s and 70s, and I know we'll have an opportunity to share more about that. Uh, but that was really important for us to document our origin story. How have we been defining servingness, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes um, telling to live speaks about the, you know, papelitos aguardados, right? The stuff that doesn't always get published, um, the actions that aren't always like heavily, you know, publicized. And so we went to the archives to find those papeles, to find those documents. And we found that we've been doing servingness at UC Riverside for a very, very long time. Um, and serving this has been at the core of what this center does and um, some of the work that, you know, many of our student organizations have done. And so when we met, right, and we went back to that core, we recognized that serving this is the ability to promote a culture of Chicanx, Latinx student success that not just enrolls, mm -hmm. but that cultivates, validates, and at UCR graduates Chicanx, Latinx students. Um, and so that was really important to kind of center what is serving this mean, but also what actions are behind that. And so we're really proud to be part of, and I know we're going to talk about, you know, what it means to be the first in the system. Many of us are the first, right, in our familias, first in our comunidades. So we kind of carry that with us as well. But um, I think our journey or my journey to consciousness was um, going back to those elders, going back specifically to Chicana, the Chicana feminist was our theoretical framing for this project and looking at Gloria Anzaldúa when she talks about what it means to overcome silencio, what it means to overcome silence, when we are part of a culture of silence, when we are part of a culture that doesn't always see us and value us, it's what Brenda said, we deserve this and more. 
And so being able to overcome silence, being able to share our story from our perspective, right? And honor our pathways um, is how I've come to critical consciousness in HSI. And I say critical, right? Not just conciencia, but what it means to be critical and active and always critical consciousness is evolutionary. So how are we also evolving in our conciencia, right? And ensuring that the next generation, we're serving that in their critical needs as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that, Arlene. And mm -hmm. yeah, what you said right now at the end made me think of how las necesidades of our students are constantly changing and we need to adapt and learn and unlearn. When, and I know that one of my compañeras here is going to talk about the process of learning and learning. So stay tuned. <laughs> um, so thank you for your question. I did not have an idea, no idea of what an HSI meant or the wording of servingness, but I knew as a as a first year student who got involved in Chicano student programs, Teatro Quinto Sol, what servingness looked like. I, I knew what it was even without the title. So one of the programs that Chicano Student Programs offers is our Chicano Link Peer Mentorship Program. It's a program designed to have mentors, which are second through fifth year students, guide first year incoming students, um, either straight out of high school or from community college. And my I had a me mentor, so I enrolled as a mentee in my first year. My mentor, Frankie, she embodied what serving is was supposed to look like and we bonded really good because besides that she was also from my community they guided me through how to apply for this you know the academic um like vocabulary that I was not aware of as a first generation scholar pero también el compañerismo so that program specifically that CSP offers really showed me what serving is was supposed to look like And I, I knew that I wanted to, like Arlene said, I knew that I wanted to get involved with that. So by my second year, I applied as a mentor. Now I wanted to give back. I wanted to be that Frankie that I had in my first year. And eventually I got an internship, not even knowing what an internship was. I was like, yes, Arlene, I'm down. <laughs> And then I became a coordinator um, for the rest of my um, undergrad experience. So I served um, the, the students directly and it felt right for me to replicate what CSP had offered me. It didn't feel out of place to serve students um, through the CSP program or the committees that we're going to talk about more later. Um, we created a trust-based environment. We validated the stories, the skills of our mentors, and we provided a network um, program for them to, you know, bond with other mentors and validate their mentee story. So these Um, first incoming students que son los primeros, you know, to ever get into these places. Um, yes, we, we welcomed all of them. Regarding my HSI consciousness, HSI came into my consciousness in practice through Chicano student programs, but in research through Esparitu, which is a connection rarely seen. And this is where the action participatory came into play for me. In Esparitu, I learned the terminology, I learned to pinpoint times and movements in la historia de nuestros elders and how they serve in the same way we are serving today as scholars, con el corazón. This, como que <laughs> tiró más leña al fuego de mi corazón as I realized how Chicano Latino students at UCR really set a high standard for other universities to meet the definition of servingness. Students rallied, went into the community and created puentes that the institutions itself wasn't creating. 
So it was the same students who organized um, retention models, advocated for ethnic studies courses that represented their historias, all aiming for something beyond survival, which is success. So in estas mismas acciones de amor and labor that continues to stem from that same fuego that made it possible for me now to serve. Servingness is a verb at the end, so. Right. Oh, wait, a little, I'm sorry. <laughs> it all came together for me because I was learning all of this historia, no, of the 60s, the 70s here at UC Riverside and Riverside as a community in my last year as a scholar. So serving la comunidad directamente and then coming to my end of my, my undergrad journey was really cyclical. I also participated in the 50th Raza grad, 50 years of Chicano Latino students graduating from this institution. And I was part of that. And again, like learning all of this was really cyclical for me. And it was just a beautiful ending, a beautiful way for me to end my undergrad experience. But thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing, Ashley. And I think like, I resonate a lot with what you said and my HSI consciousness journey. And, you know, I came into UCR not knowing what an HSI was, nor the definition, the terminology, or like the frameworks of serviness. All I knew was that the, the work that we were doing here in CSP was a labor of love. And that was part of my training here as an activist, an organizer, a leader here on campus. And it was until when you came, Dr. Garcia, to our campus virtually, <laughs> when I, you know, first heard the word HSI, you know, you talked about your research, this concept of serviness, and I was, and I paused and I was like, wait, so that's what this is then. Like, you know, I was like, I never could put a word to what we were doing because it was just, it was indescribable. You know, you couldn't really put a word to the magia that was happening in this office. But, you know, in this office as well, like I served as the committee and marketing coordinator in the Office of Chicago Student Programs throughout my undergraduate career. And, you know, I organized youth conferences. Um, we had empower, empowerment workshops where we invited our abuelitas, our mamas to our workshops and graduation ceremonies that had our familias in the procession. And, you know, and I saw the impact of it, that legacy of it when I was in Esparito and when we were in the archives, in the newsletters, the Chicanx Latinx uh, newsletter Nostra Cosa that we have here. And I saw like our conference, our ceremony in like the advertisements. And I was like, whoa, I was like, serving as a committee coordinator, someone who's organized, helping organize this, I felt a responsibility, mm -hmm. this intergenerational commitment to serve our students. And, you know, and our way of serving us here at CSP transcends the institution. Like it goes into mm -hmm. our students' homes. Mm -hmm. And in addition, I captured these powerful glimpses of time and turned it into art and disseminated it into the community. And how powerful it is for our youth and our graduating students' familias and to see themselves in our work, you know? So like utilizing artistry as a form of serving and seeing the impact of it opened my eyes to the possibilities of what NHSI can become, what they can be if we only dare to imagine, if we only dare to fully embrace it. Mm -hmm. Thank right. you, Alexis. Yeah. And we are- Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. And shout out, I'm wearing one of Alexis's designs. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> awesome I love it Brenda you want to jump in yes so I'm back y'all this is Brenda and so something that really caught my attention that my two colleagues were mentioning was that they didn't know what HSI was and I didn't know what HSI was either but let's not forget that that wasn't by design a lot of times we enter in spaces where 
we feel imposter syndrome and we don't know why, right? And it's not until we become HSI conscious that we're able to give meaning and words to how we feel, our emotions and what we're going through. And so really when I started reflecting back on where my HSI consciousness began, I, it really started at my community college and my community college at SMC wasn't, didn't have HSI designation until 2016. So that meant that my first year at SMC, there was no designation, but like, I believe Ashley had said, even without the designation, I was already doing work. I was already um, engaging with students. I was engaged. I was already engaging with efforts that were meaningful. And so really what was set the ground for me was, in my community college time, I met a woman by the I met a woman by the name of Belen Bacaro, who at the time was a financial aid specialist who really catered to all all students on campus. But really, she focused on helping undocumented and mixed status students, um, helping them navigate what financial aid meant. And it, if it wasn't through her, I would have not. I would have not known what, what it meant to be undocumented on campus. I, I would have not known that I could have applied to financial aid at the time. And so because of her, who she's actually still a, a counselor at SMC, but now she works with STEM. And so because of her, I was able to learn, you know, what is AB 540, um, also known as the California Assembly Bill? Um, what is the G65 form? You know, can students apply to the California Dream Act? What is the California Dream Act, right? Um, are some students, you find them applying for the FAFSA, but really they needed to apply for the California Dream Act. And so really helping students navigate that, that route. Um, I was so privileged enough for Belen to teach me everything from A through Z. And I really took that with me at UCR. And so, as I said before, like when I was reflecting about my H HSI, like servingness and like what that means for me, you know, it really did start at my community college. And so um, it was only, I feel like when I got to UCR, um, I wanted to continue that. I wanted to continue the efforts. And it was really an extension of what I was already doing at my community college, but only, you know, coming to UCR, it looked very different. And so, um, as I mentioned before, I was HS, I became HSI conscious when I engaged with the Espiritu Project um, through Arlene. And I've mentioned this to Arlene countless of times. And it really, um, for me, it, I decided to engage in in Espiritu in the project because of Arlene. Um, there's so many words to describe Arlene, but really her, she's very authentic. She's very intentional with what she does on campus. And for me, that was that was vital. I needed someone who accepted us who for who we were, who were who wasn't trying to change the way that we look, the way that we present ourselves to be. And so um that's really where where my HSI conscious began. And so one thing that I did want to point out with the Espiritu project is that we did a lot of journaling during during the course of the time. And just looking back and, and thinking, you know, um, I think Arlene did an amazing job at dismantling what research is. Research can be journaling. Journaling for me was healing at the time. I was going through a tragic loss in my life. And I remember Arlene telling me, if we don't write our stories, someone else will. And if we don't tell our stories, someone else will. And so it was at that moment that I realized, you know what? Yeah, it's it's true. And I, I've, I've always had a passion for writing, but I never developed it. And it was really the Spiritu Project and Arlene who just um, sparked something in me. And I was like, yeah, it's true. We need to tell our stories because if we don't, someone else will. And so 
uh, after that, you know, it my 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 interest in like HSI in general really grew, and I'm just looking forward to seeing like what else can we do? What else can we do with Espiritu? What else can we do with Arlene? And even uh, even even with Dr. Gina Garcia, what can we do? <laughs> and really just take up space, take up space with HSI work and let people know that we are here and we are here to stay. Yes, thank you. Tell your stories because somebody will, else will. Uh, it's so true. And people have tried to tell y'all story. So I love that y'all are telling it because people do try to pick up y'all story because you have a good one, right? You see our, it, it, <laughs> there is success in particularly Chicano student programs. Brenda, I think like how you mentioned that it was like a spark that happened with Espiritu and with Arlene. Like, I feel the same way. And I know, it, like, I feel like all of us resonate that same energy and mm-hmm. it only made us all closer, I think, throughout. Um, but like, like to everyone else on the podcast, um, my serving this journey came through experience at CSP and the background knowledge of Espiritu. Um, to me, serving this comes from a place of love, um, from passion, hope, perseverance. Um, but I would say that also, my serving this journey grew from the support of that I felt from Chicano student programs and Arlene and everyone, but it's also rooted in the love and honor that we we paid attention to um, when we're talking about our fa- families and like the women in our lives. Um, and so I feel when I first was like reflecting on this question, I think automatically I thought of like the women in my lives and the labors of love that they carried in order for like us to be here. And I know whenever we would have Espiritu meetings, we would always talk about our, like the women in our lives and just our families and how, you know, without them, we wouldn't be here. And without them, like the motivation to make it to Rasa to, you know, be in community with one another, you know, that was all fueled by them. And so I think it's important to point out that like, I was taught by the women in my life that my time and my energy are precious. Mm-hmm. And the elder women in my life have taught me through their experience, um, that if I'm going to perform serving this, it has to come from my heart. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, I'm just, you know, it's not right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so whenever it came to having, like, mentors and femtors, uh, like, in UCR and, like, in the community, they always encouraged me to look for spaces where I could grow and learn with community, not just apart, not in some separate way. And that helped me understand how serving this and labors of love they're connected to one another. And it's something that you do, you know, unconditionally. It's something that comes from your heart. And so when HSIs came into my consciousness, consciousness, it came from those experience that she, uh, experiences that she found in student programs where, you know, the HSI designation was actively advocated for by students with corazón, orgullo, and familia. Like, the thing is, is that like all those pillars that are at the center of the CSP mission, like, it's been 50 years and they're still mm-hmm. like, we see it every day. Like you see it every day, the love that goes through this space and the advocacy that people fight for one another. Um, and so like when, like the first thing you see when you walk into Chicago student programs is the mural and you know your history is gonna be preserved and you know that your story is precious. And I think that every day, like with the mentorship program, I was a student program coordinator with Ashley for the Chicano Link for Mentorship Program. And it's a volunteer based program with over 200 students every year. And I feel like that speaks a lot as to what, you know, what the amount of heart goes into that. And we do trainings with, or well, we did trainings, <laughs> not anymore, <laughs> but we did trainings with students and we always talked about validation and how that's such an important part of like our journeys. Um, and I think when, like throughout that time, like that was such an important thing that resonated with me. Um, 
but I wanted to say like something that stuck out a lot like and I think it was really a pivotal point of when I started thinking more about servingness it's at least within like Chicanos and programs UCR resource centers was when the pandemic hit mm -hmm. um and it's because at the time I had just been in the program coordinator program coordinator role for like I think like two months <laughs> and then everyone went on quarantine and I remember everyone not really being certain about what was going on but people knew that they had a community no matter what and so like me and Ashley were receiving emails from students being like hey like I need like support I just need someone to talk to and like even when there was no door no open door policy people knew that we were there and like I remember Arlene being there for us and I remember having check-in meetings with her and I think that you know it showed a lot about how servingness doesn't end and servingness like there's no servingness should dismantle barriers mm -hmm. for students it shouldn't there should be nothing hindering us from succeeding and being the best that we can be um, and growing. But a lot of that background knowledge on actual HSIs and everything came from Arlene, from Dr. Arlene <laughs> <laughs> and from Espadifu. And she really guided us in, you know, being not afraid to make research personal and not be afraid of, you know, you know, being critical and like just talking together. And just like this conversation right now, this is like, how I felt every meeting we had went and we would just all be crying at the end <laughs> um but it it helped it helped us personally to grow and it helped us as scholars to grow and to understand that we're when we're serving we're not just serving students as students we're serving their whole person um and you know this body project gave me like the historical context that Ashley had mentioned and everyone had mentioned and it really made me understand like the importance of like history and memory preservation and I applied that to my own life and got to really reflect on like my family's relationships and like their where they belong in history and where like they've blossomed and things like that um and so just to wrap it up <laughs> I think like definitely like it it's all connected to love and care and self-preservation you know, that's what servingness is. Um, and so, yeah. <laughs> y'all have, y'all have redefined servingness in this beautiful way. I'm like, oh, I love it. That's why I love the podcast. Cause it's like, yes, all yes to all of this. So, so thank you for that. Okay. So let's go ahead and get into UCR and Chicano student programs, which y'all have already answered, honestly, a lot of these questions, right, that we're going to get into, but let's go ahead and, and talk um, about something you said, Arlene, you said that uh, UCR being the first HSI in the system is significant. Um, so tell us about that. What What is the significance, um, particularly as a large public research institution? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we were federally designated in 2008. So we know, right, all, all that front loaded type of data. And it is significant, right, as well. It details this kind of trajectory for us. But I think the hidden story, right, this, this version, this counter story, this counter history is the work that I did with the students in, in this, you know, dissertation, which was also exceptional for us to understand and know. And so what it means is setting that tone, being the first in, in this large, massive system, thinking about its relation to the master plan of the 1960s and its evolution, right? Thinking about how um, this tripart system in the state of California was designed to serve, right? Um, California, right? And nationally. And so I think seeing us in that, this like 
really macro level about where we fit in, what is our role, and also defining kind of what it means to be a Hispanic serving research institution. So as an R1, what's our responsibility to produce knowledge, to graduate scholars that are also consciente about the comunidad, that are also giving back, right, in those ways and infusing reciprocity into that work. And so for me, I think UCR um, is a growing and thriving Chicanx Latinx identified right uh, institution, and it's it's the people, it's the sum of all parts that have made it so. It's right, it's not the institution by itself, but it's all of us, right, um, for us, by us, and and that's how we've been able to succeed and grow. And so, as an HSRI, you know, we rank among. We rank highly, right? We're an award-winning HSI. We received the Seal of Excelencia. Um, we are graduating Chicanx Latinx undergrads at high rates. We are enrolling the largest undergraduate, um, you know, Chicanx Latinx populations amongst our sister UC campuses. And so, for us, that's all that's all important and significant. But what are we doing when they're here? And I hope that the stories that our students are sharing, their testimonios, because they really are, you know, they they feel safe and comfortable and I'm honored to hear the testimonials all day but now all the listeners get to hear right um that experience um but that's by design that's by design we created this space by design where those testimonials can thrive right and it's not just a pay a place where we're sensationalizing pain Tampoco, right? We're here to talk about joy. We're here to celebrate achievements. We're here to also recognize our blind spots. That's what I mean by being evolutionary is what are, what's missing? Whose voices are missing? Who's being silenced intentionally, right? Um, and so I think that work is also important, but it comes from this rich legacy that started in the 1960s um, where we're committed to, you know, ensuring that we're reaching you know, those traditional metrics, I, I know that's important to, you know, uh, most folks, but also thinking about overall engagement with students and thinking about social mobility and thinking about belonging and mattering. That's all part of this work. And so, yeah, I think that's significant about what it means to set the tone, what it means to be in this kind of category, if you will, when there's not a lot of other examples of what this looks like. And so being okay with setting that tone by going back to the core, what have we done before, right? We've been in R1 before. We may not have been in HSI until 2008, but we've been serving students, right, way before. And so I think that's important. And I speak about that in my article about, you know, going back to the elders and, and them sharing, like, we have this trajectory. We were in HSI before 2008. And, and I, I think that's something that's super important to recognize, making space for those voices and stories. Absolutely. I love how you bring in the, um, the master plan, right? Like, you, like, you think in this large systemic way, right, of like, the fact that UCR is a part of a system matters a lot, right? And to be the first in the system, yet we know right now the entire system is trying to become a Hispanic serving system, right? And what does that look like? Um, and y'all have such a, a good model. Um, but I think something else that you're you're intertwining here and that I would love for y'all to chime in about is um, the fact that Chicano student programs is sort of the foundation of that, right? Like um, to say that it's the whole university, right? All of UCR, that's a stretch, right? Versus y'all have all talked about how 
Chicano student programs has been the one that, that the place where serving this has happened for y'all. So talk a little bit about that, about how, uh, you know, y'all have seen the embodiment of serving this within Chicano student programs. Thank you for using the word embodies because yeah, our students, um, our pro staff, our student staff, our volunteers really embody our passion and dedication to liberation through servingness. Like previously mentioned through Chicano Link, servingness is present, extending our bienvenida to abuelitas, madres, y mujeres in our family for them to share their stories in the Semana de la Mujer week of events, that's servingness. And I got to invite my nana to share her story through an online panel named Voces Divinas, Amor Sin Fronteras. Like, where do you else, like, where do you see this? <laughs> Just think about the fact that femmes in our cultura, one, are rarely listened to, and two, they trusted us. Like, CSP, I, you know, I, I grew up here, but mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it, it's an institution. So the fact that our abuelitas, our madres, trusted CSP, the corner, part of a, a bigger institution, is sacred, and that means a lot. As part of Tetro Quinto Sol, like I was sharing earlier, Planning Poesia Peligrosa, which is an open mic event um, in collaboration with Chicano student programs, that's servingness. And, you know, inviting people to share their palabra and for them to reciprocate that trust that we're trying to invite and promote to them. Yeah, that's how we embody it, <laughs> through celebration and orgullo in Raza Grad, which, which um, like we mentioned, is our Chicano Latino graduation ceremony, reminding the caregivers, the parents, family members that they belong and that they are part of the esfuerzos of their students. That's how we embody serviness. And not only through programming, but through reminders in comunidad for our comunidad that they belong. That's my take on it. Beautiful. Um, so, Chicano Student Programs is like nuestra hogar, it's nuestra casa, you know, and CSP has served students from like some big things like programming, opportunity, initiatives, you know, but also to like some of the most detailed things like providing conchas, free coffee, <laughs> you know, a kitchen, a fridge for us, a sala for us to chismear at lunch, you know, like all those factors has allowed for our students to thrive, to dream, to advocate, to build a forever home here. And I think that all of that program, our programming, all of that is kind of like the handle, you know, we put every, everything that we do in CSP is like, woven into our programming all of our students their stories it's woven into what we do and it's a collaborative effort with the professional staff who have taught us to center our students voices to everything that we do but something else that i saw was how csp that tradition of serving us was spread across our alumni too like we have alumni that give back to a central and provide scholarships for our students you know and csp being a 50 plus year center has built such a robust, loving community in and outside of the office. And it's that reciprocity between the community and CSP that has allowed for this intergenerational commitment to serve our students, to help them to thrive in our HSI. And I mean, how powerful is that? Absolutely powerful. <laughs> Hi, y'all. This is Brenda again. So just um, speaking from someone that wasn't always connected to CSP, but came to love CSP and La Gente and everyone that worked at CSP, I think C um, CSP as a program really embodies servingness in practice. Um, they embody servingness because they make it tangible. Um, and I say this because um, the last Semana de la Mujer that we had, it was healing. Um, we had art up on the wall. You know, there was a lot of um, lagrimas coming out 
And we also have had scenes, Nostra Cosa Digital Collections. Um, we have Raza Grad where um, folks are able to come in community and really um, have a, a committee where they get to say how they want Raza Grad to come to fruition, aside from all the other committees that they have, but just really want to pin down like Semana de la Mujer because it, it, this this past Semana de la Mujer was, like I said, very healing. And I just wanted to read the the um, the the theme the theme of Semana de la Mujer. So her story is healing, strength, and an act of resistance. As we unlearn the things that no longer serve us, lágrimas are what help us release and nourish. Seguiremos floreciendo y brotando con alegría. I can jump in. Thank you so much, Brenda, for sharing. And that it's funny because that was actually the Semana de la Mujer was actually one of the key things that I was going to point out also. And especially this past one. Um, so but first, before talking about that, I think something important to just point out is like, and this was pointed out to me when after graduating and I was looking into like um, interviews and things like that. And someone I was interviewing with, like, they're like, I noticed you talk a lot by saying like we and our and <laughs> like, when we talk when, whenever we talk about Chicano student programs and, you know, the, the community that's here there's no separation. We're like, we're, we're with each other. We're family. And so I think that's why we and R is like throughout this entire podcast. <laughs> um, but it's because we feel safe with one another and we've built that community and Arlene's done a beautiful job of building mm -hmm. that in Espiritu too. Mm -hmm. um, but I was going to say um, when it comes to Semana, Semana de la Mujer, I feel like that's such a good example of showing how CSP embodies serving this because it, it helped us build bridges between us as as who we are as people, um, our loved ones and the university and help break those barriers. Um, and it really adapted to whatever the students wanted to see. And that's with all the programs, but um, something really beautiful that we did this past year was the first ever collective memory exhibit um, that Brenda mentioned. Um, and, you know, we, got to really honor the loved ones that we have in our lives and those who aren't physically here, but we want to remember them and preserve their, their histories and their stories. Um, and I was really proud to be able to like honor my abuelita and my sister Yasmin, who I mentioned earlier. Um, but those people are important and they're essential to who we are and why we serve and why we you know, continue as students. And so I think something really beautiful that CSB do has done is like, really make sure that we we create sacred spaces for ourselves here um despite it being like an institution and it being its little bubble mm -hmm. <laughs> um we pop the bubble <laughs> <laughs> but yeah and i think that's also seen like just in first impressions when people come into to csp like just last week there was someone who came um with their little ones just to come visit UCR and just see like look oh like what's going on <laughs> they're like we were trying to like expose our kids to like um universities and you know we introduced them we gave them like a tour of the space we were like encouraging them like you know this is where you can be like you can do this you belong here um and then they ended up buying sarape sashes from us <laughs> and they said UCR and they're like we're proud to do it and so even with like those little moments, they matter because we're building familias, like even with people who we just meet. <laughs> and so I think that's just really important to point out because to embody servingness is also to honor who we are as people first and how we come. And just like everyone said, like, we're not changing who we are. 
when we come here. And so if anything, we're just growing with everyone and flourishing. <laughs> but Thank you. Thank you. These are all such beautiful stories and um, examples, right, that other folks can learn from um, as far as like, what does servingness actually look like? Uh, one question I would like us to jump into, though, um, is not just about currently what's going on, but one of the things y'all did in your project was like get into the history, right? And so I want to make sure we get to that, right? Because that's important. Because I don't think most people dig into their history of HSI and how they became an HSI. Um, so Arlene, you wrote a practice brief called Chicanex Latinx Student Success at UC Riverside, capturing the history of a thriving Hispanic serving institution published on the UC HSI. Initiatives website, which we'll link in the show notes, um, and talking about history as a thriving HSI. So tell us a little bit about that, about the history of becoming an HSI versus this idea of accidentally, right? A lot of people say it's it's accidental, it wasn't intentional, yet that I think that can be disputed, right? And I think y'all have such beautiful stories here that are kind of disputing that, right? So tell us a little bit about that, the history of, of UCR becoming an HSI in a grassroots and more intentional way. Yes, absolutely. So in my initial scholarship, you know, and, and like I said, coming to UC Riverside and, and being so present, um, you know, I think that I was, I found this idea of servingness to be, you know, from 2008, we've been serving, right? And, and there was this federal designation. And I think that's really important. And a lot of scholars, yourself and, you know, and Deborah Santiago and, and many other people um, talk about how, servingness or HSI specifically is a social and political construct. Um, the 25%, right, is is this number. And it's important, I think, about scholars like um, Tarayoso and Benavides that talk about diversity for convenience. Who does it convenience, right? And so when we become an HSI, um, it's important to think about, you know, what are the racialized experiences of our scholars that garnered us becoming a federally designated HSI that now gives us access to funding to make our work stronger, right? And, and that's the core purpose. That's what was fought for in the 90s. And so my dissertation, every time that I started thinking about what it meant to be an HSI, where was this center within this fabric of our HSI journey, I kept finding that it happened way before 2008, right? And so it was almost like the way that I define it as a scholar, and, and we talked about this being a, an accidental historian, is looking at Aurora Levens Morales's work of being a, a historian as a curandera, of finding healing and remedios by reconnecting to a severed past and finding the co-optation of the labor of Chicanx Latinx activists from the 60s students, right? Mm -hmm. The first Chicano faculty, the second Chicano faculty we got a chance mm -hmm. to interview. And so hearing from them what it was like to be in a space and place that was not 25% mm -hmm. was very important for our students. And so what it was like to, for me to capture this origin, to tell this story, to be a caretaker of the story, um, which I'll talk, you know, later is that I was a bridge, right? That, that's how I see it. I embodied being a bridge. We were in a room with the elders, the present students at an HSI with the elders from the 1960s at a hopeful HSI, right? Their work was always about ensuring that Chicanx Latinx students had access to higher education. So they were doing the outreach efforts. Um, they were creating the Chicano studies classes, right? First it was Mexican American studies and it became Chicano studies. And they were really raw about their stories with us. They were very truthful about what they wanted to say. And 
it's like they hadn't had this space to share that before because it is a painful past to be able to do that. And so they're very selective on who they share that with. And it's not always with the institution for right reason, right? Just like our communities is, is always really hesitant to connect with our community because of the past, right? And so our work was to heal that, to serve as a bridge and to recover and reclaim that story, to put us on that pedestal that we deserve because our gente have been doing this work. And what we see now, the models that have led us to becoming an HSI, it's their model, it's their blueprint. They wrote the blueprint, um, starting with El Plan de Santa Barbara, right? That, that I know we're gonna talk about before, um, about this Chicano Manifesto to higher education. What does it mean to utilize education as a space for transformation that gives back to our comunidad? And so, we, it was about honoring their process and progress. It's about um, honoring the students' process and progress. And something that we talked a lot about was, you know, getting from Doran and uh, Medina who talk about the difference between a grassroots HSI and an accidental HSI is that a grassroots HSI has intentionality, it has people. And sometimes it's a small critical mass. And that's what it was. It was a small critical mass of less than a hundred Chicanos at the time at UCR that were organizing, right? And doing this work. And they were synonymous with the comunidad. What you felt in the Chicano movement, they were feeling here and embodying and they didn't forget their comunidad. The puente estaba abierta. And that's how they designed this center is to always be an open access space for the community. So when Bibiana and, and you know Ashley and Alexis and Brenda share about how people come here and they feel comfortable and they feel safe, it's because we designed it to be that way, right? We designed it for everybody to feel like they belong. Your familias, your abuelitas, you we keep referring to that, right? They need to know that they belong just as much as you all do. And so being a grassroots society means plantando semillas, right, harvesting hope, cosechando futuros, right, ensuring that we're planting those seeds of consciousness and we're recognizing that we need to go back to our roots. So we played around a lot with this ideology and this concept of la girasol, the sunflower, and our students painted that and we, you know, wrote a song about it a little bit. And so it was just this idea of what it means to invest in knowing who our roots are. Now we can truly blossom without any like hesitation, without, without any limitations to our blossom. Like we expanded all of that. And so this history project was that reclamation and recovery project. So it was with intentionality and it was knowing our timeline. Like we're not just the first HSI, we're the first of many things. We're the first mm -hmm. professionally staffed Chicano center, cultural identity center in the UC system. We're the first Chicanx Latinx graduation ceremony. We're the first to have a Spanish family language you know, orientation, which we're hosting in two weeks where our families have been coming for over 22 years on our campus because we knew that that was important. So I can go on and on, <laughs> but that's important to see ourselves in this larger context. Like all those milestones yeah. matter just as much, if not more than when we became designated as an HSI. Mm -hmm. Yes. Ooh, I could feel the just like, the power that you you were ready with that one, um, but saying so many important things. Um, one thing you mentioned is is the girasol, right? How that became a, a like a, a model for y'all, yes. um, Alexis. I want you to talk a little bit about that because you you wrote an article about a model that you you created, and it's around like art or something. Tell tell us about that. Yes. Yeah. So I wrote Pintando Hispanics Institution, my first publication ever, as a result of 
freedom dreaming as a co-researcher working in the archives of Desparito and like wondering like what if the preservation of our history was you know preserved through muralism to make it accessible and comprehensible to the community like on the physical infrastructure of like when you walk to class you know you see it every day and I you know you know the murals the mural CSP all of these murals truly inspired this you know the history of it you know, this mural did not just come by accident. It was truly because of the student movements that were happening in the 1960s and 70s. And it's a reminder, a living textile of that time, you know, and the history of the mural here in CSP is, you know, a lot. You know, we've relocated the mural many times. It's been split up like in panels at this point because <laughs> we've moved so many times, found different homes on campus. And, you know, we have preserved that mural like we the staff, the faculty, the professional staff that worked in the center have preserved that. I mean, because we know how important it is because every time our students come into the center, they are enveloped by it. Mm -hmm. And that's what the Girasol model came about was because it was inspired by how can we utilize artistry as a way to preserve our history, you know? So the Girasol model will, sorry, let me go back to the next. The Hirasol model is to help emerging HSIs and HSIs to create murals while understanding the origins of their historical organizational identity and freedom dreaming of their institutions as spaces of social justice and liberation. And I divided the model into four sections from semillas raices, which symbolizes the foundation, which is student movements, right? And the stem of the sunflower, which symbolizes how that movement influenced the HSI campus climate. And then the petals to symbolize, you know, the creation of murals on the campus from the from that legacy. Mm -hmm. And then the last section, which is uh, the preservation, is how do we preserve, you know, those murals? How do we preserve that history? And that's the section I'm still working on. I'm still trying to expand on. But you know, this work is not performative. You know, you know, I'm not saying that by having a mural, it's a, you know, you're automatically an HSI. No, muralism is intentional. It's sacred. And it's important that we see it that way. And it's important that we do that critical reflection if you truly want to be an HSI that is grounded in social justice and liberation. Absolutely. Mm, yes, beautifully said. I always talk about murals, y'all know. And I'm pretty sure Arlene, the first time we met was because I had y'all's mural in That's my slides, right? right? Thank you. Yes, the CSP <laughs> mural. And I gave credit. I never take, right, without giving credit, I gave full credit. Um, And also knew about the mural because as Arlene knows, and I don't know if any of y'all know, I worked at UC Riverside a long time ago um, in residence life. So I, I was familiar with Chicano student programs and, and the mural, right? So I love, I love it. I'm glad you're writing about that. Keep writing about it in this intentional ways because I agree with all of that stuff that you that you said. So thank you. Something else I wanted to get into. So um, looping back to the, um, you know, the practice brief, the term thriving HSI, uh, that's an important term, right? I know even in my, my own work, I haven't written about thriving as an HSI. I think it's, it's wrapped up in some of the things I've written about, but let's, let's hear about how y'all are thinking about that. What does it actually mean to be a thriving HSI versus, you know, just being federally designated? Bibi, you want to kick us off? Yeah, of course. Um, so definitely, I think about what Arlene was saying about intentionality is really like at the root of all of it. You know, having a continual investment and not treating students as transactional is really important um, because we're not just a number, you know. Um, and I think when it comes to, to thriving HSI, like 
when receiving the HSI designation, it shouldn't just be like a name in itself. Like it, receiving a designation, it's it should go beyond that. Um, and so like having like, going back to like what we were saying earlier about like teaching students that they belong here and that they don't need to change and that there needs to be a continual and intentional investment into their transformation as scholars is really important. And so they need to be treating students with respect and also knowing to be transparent and leading with care and love and honoring them um, as they're unlearning and learning. And I think, Brenda, I don't know if you wanna talk a little bit about unlearning and learning. Yes, yes, Vivi, thank you for that. Yes, so this concept of you know decolonizing your mind and there's many definitions out in the universe about it, but really in Espiritu and at CSP and the efforts that we've seen Arlene um, be a part of this concept of like decolonizing your mind is really unlearning everything that's no longer serving us and learning everything, everything that's new, everything that's coming up. Um, somebody else mentioned earlier about like how, you know, generation generations are changing, you know, technology is changing. And so I do truly believe that we need to be open to um, adapting and welcoming new practices. And I think this this idea of like decolonizing the mind is very powerful because we have time and time again been told the wrong story. Um, our stories have been erased. They, we have been silenced, you know, and I think it's about time that we wake up, that we stand up and we act unapologetically in spaces um, that are that center whiteness. And so very passionate about it, but that's just a little bit about, about um, what I mean when I say like, we need to decolonize our mind and unlearn all the things that are no longer serving us. Yes, snaps to that, retweets to that, all of it. It's so <laughs> true. Absolutely. That was an article I wrote about uh, a while back, decolonizing HSIs, right? Because I was like, I agree. Like, there's so much unlearning we have to do. How are we going to move forward? We got to actually untangle a lot of other stuff that has already been done, right? Um, and particularly in colleges and universities, they are not uh, spaces that were ever for us. Right. I, I like that we keep talking about this, in, you know, this intentionality around like by design versus not by design. Right. And y'all are so like intentionally saying like the things we have done in Chicano student programs and that we do as a collective is by design. But that's not always the case. Right. Um, so thank you for for that. Ashley, I would love to hear from you about um, poetry and storytelling and corrido as a form of servingness. We haven't talked about that. Go ahead and, and if you want to jump in and tell us about how you believe that comes into serving this. Thank you. Can you hear me? Thank you for your question. Um, yeah, as I shared previously, I consider myself a poeta and a storyteller. Um, I write about my personal experiences, my family stories. It's really sacred for me to open a space in Palabra, no? That, that involves my familia and mi comunidad. So you can check out my work at Pedazos de Mi Alma on Instagram. I, I have it open <laughs> for you. But coming from this idea of making it accessible for mi comunidad. So we had a project um, in Espiritu, our like final project. And Arlene was like, we learned this. So now how do we translate this to la comunidad? And for me, it, it instantly hit like musica. Besides that, I grew up with, um, from my dad's side, mi, mi, mom, mi papa is musico, mi nana is musica, they play the guitar and sing. I grew up listening to my family stories through guitarra, encanto, and corridos. The, the traditional corridos que 
the text or, or la, la lírica is telling us a story. So when I thought about, okay, Ashley, how can I tell this story um, of HSIs, of the movement in Los 60s, of UCR, the Chicano movement, a mi familia. How can I, you know? And for me, it's important to always, if I can't tell the story to the people that I love in, in terms that they understand, that, then did I really learn the story? That's always that I question, like a question that I carry. And I'm like, okay, so es que I know how I'm going to do it. <laughs> and I wrote a corrido. And this corrido is really intentional, again, because it's called Puro Chicanex, inspired by the corrido Puro Cachanilla. And it's a corrido that entails the story of Baja California, of Mexicali. And like, that's like our, ¿cómo se le dice? Como our anthem. anthem, anthem, anthem. Yeah, it's like our anthem. We're like, oh, sí, Puro Cachanilla. And as I was doing the, the research of, of the song, of where it started, where it came from, I noticed that it's a three-chord song. And reflecting in todo lo que estábamos haciendo en Esparito, I'm like, damn, like, we're analyzing the past. Mm -hmm. We as present right now, like present students in HSI, and we're dreaming of the future. This three-directional chord um, system in the song in comparación to all the research that we were doing. So it just felt right. It's a corrido that came from my hometown, about my hometown, three-directional, just as our research um, component, and it's accessible to the people that I love the most. So I, I wrote a whole corrido and I performed it to our class, all shy, porque hace mucho que, like, you know, no tocaba la guitarra, and, and it was like, performed as a musician, as a poeta, I'm like, I'm ready, but as a musician, so my my abuelita spirit hit in, my papa spirit hit in, it tapped into me, and, and I performed it in front of our class. And it was just a really beautiful experience again because of all the background of the song, my intentionality with it. And, and yeah, sharing it to my familia. I did sing it to my nana and she was like, what, all of this happened? And yo, yes, nana. <laughs> and this is my same nana who came um, into Semana de la Mujer and shared her story. And yeah, that's, that's where my portion of storytelling comes from and the sacredness of accessibility, of preserving um, palabra, no? And, I, I always felt called to um, the Curandera article because it is a responsibility of us. If, if we're in this work, it's not only just to do the work and you know show it on an article, like these are the findings. It's beyond that. It's a responsibility that our community nos confió. So we really have to be intentional and think of these findings, these corridos, these art um, pieces, muralism as a sacred, Como, I don't know how to even like bundle of love. I don't know, like a sacred thing um, to carry. So yeah, that's that's my story. But please follow my work on, on Instagram. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you. Yes, thank you for sharing. Y'all have just like blown up what research it looks like or what we think it's supposed to look like in, in very beautiful ways. Right. Um, and one of the questions that I was going to ask was like, what was, what's the significance of having students be engaged in research, but y'all have basically displayed the significance, right? The last like hour or so that we've been talking, actually, it shows the significance, right? Anybody listening can see the significance of y'all, um, learning about what research is, disrupting what research is, creating new stories, writing about research, drawing it, singing it, all these other things that like is not what we typically think of as 
social science research, right? So, um, so thank you for that. I, my mind is going a million miles an hour. I'm sure our listeners are about all the possibilities y'all have just opened up for us um, in so many beautiful ways. Uh, but we do have to wrap up because, you know, otherwise we're going to keep going for two hours here. Uh, we might have to have a part two though. I'm feeling like a part two might have to come in. I think we didn't cover everything. There's so much more. And I, and I hope y'all are writing about it um, because uh, people need to learn with 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 y'all, right? So I hope y'all are, are that this is one avenue of sharing your your findings um, and your your process. But there's so many other ones. So so I hope y'all will will tap into that as well. Um, but the final question, no one gets out of the pod without answering the final question, <laughs> and it's the hardest question. I don't know why. <laughs> Pero qué pasa? Qué pasa? HSIs. <laughs> You know, first, primeramente, muchas gracias for having us and extending, you know, the airwaves to uh, to us and our comunidad here at UC Riverside. Um, and, you know, this is for the elders. This is for the presente. This is for the future, right? And mm-hmm. this is this is interdisciplinary work. HSI has to be interdisciplinary. It can't just live in the social sciences, right? Everybody needs to be doing this type of work. If you're working at an HSI, an emerging HSI in the state of California, et cetera, like we need to be thinking about what it means to serve in its core um, intimate concept and you got a chance to see like what it means when we're creative what it means when we design research tools that serve our comunidad this is what research looks like it's not linear right it serves many purposes but it's also like incredibly humbling Mm -hmm. to do this work incredibly humbling that's what you're saying Viviana about the we we all operate in the we right and it's not performative it's not individualistic because we all are in this together especially when we burn out because that happens right the fire sometimes burns out or it's extinguished or you know we got to go into those deep archives and those crevices and those catacombs (laughs) to like find our work we come back to the tierra and the soil and the roots and, and remember why we're here, right? We see ourselves in murals or we don't see ourselves in murals for some HSIs that don't have that, right? Um, but our stories deserve to be shared in, in all aspects and all creativity. And so I, I want to end by going back to one of our um, founders at UCR, um, in which was Tomas Rivera, our late chancellor, first Chicano chancellor in the UC system. And he was a poeta as well, <laughs> an artist. And, and he really paved the way about what it meant to be an administrator, about what it meant to be a Chicanx leader um, in the UC system. And I think in general, right, in Texas in general, just what it meant to be an author and to what Laura Rendon talks about, be bien educado. What it means to be bien educado means that educate that home education, that community education, and and not letting it right deflect the work that you do when you choose to come to higher education because we know that's not everybody's pathway, right? But what it means to to do that, right, and to be bien educado. And so I'm pulling from his quote from his really important, significant mm-hmm. literary piece, Ino se lo tragó la tierra, and the earth did not devour him, written in 1971. Because again, that cortex, I think we've been talking about Clara Garcia, like some of this blueprints they've been written for us already right let's not sever those conexiones let's reclaim them let's heal them right some of that text is there and let's build off of these people who've already planted those seeds and so he talks about um 
this individual who sold poems to the community, right? So it's perfect to be able to go right after um, one of our poetas, because all of our, our students are poetas in their own right. Um, but he says, uh, what when the people were excited with this, you know, person selling poetry came around to their to their campesino community. Um, he says in the quote, en los poemas se encontraban los nombres de la gente del barrio y cuando los leían voz alta era algo emocionante y serio. Recuerdo que una vez le dijo a la raza que leyeran los poemas en, los poemas en voz alta porque la voz era la semilla del amor en la oscuridad. The translation is, this person's poems included the names of the people of the town and when he read them aloud, it was something emotional and serious. I recall that one time he told the people to read the poems out loud because the spoken word was the seed of love in the darkness. Que pasa raza is to read our poems out loud, to come out of the darkness into the light because we deserve this and more. That was so beautiful. We could wrap up there. Pero que pasa HSIs? What's your last thoughts for anybody listening in the HSI community? Because we got a lot of listeners. What, what you okay. want to tell them? What you want to tell them? Go for it. <laughs> so I would say that HSIs have to expand to teach an inclusive history, a history that normalizes our stories and our nuances, our inner humanity in both defeat and in triumph. And we have created movements, student movements, and we wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for those movements, if it wasn't for Tana Santa Barbara. And we shouldn't separate ourselves from history or the community. We have to stand in solidarity with each other. I think that's what I would say yeah, to everyone out there. <laughs> And it has to be intersectional, inclusive. I have a quote from my essay. El arte y el pan son iguales. Es hecho por y para la gente. Por ello se debe de siempre compartir con todos. Mucho pasa, carnal. And I dream of more. Galicia Rifa, puro chicali trece. And I just want to add that that was <laughs> one of your first journals for this class. Mm -hmm. um, you wrote a poem, I true, true to you. So, yes. Thank you. <laughs> on the grass, crying. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bibi, anything from you? Final thoughts on que pasa HSIs? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like when that question came up, I just was like, I don't know what to write, but I'm going to write everything. <laughs> but I think going back to something I said earlier about how serving this doesn't stop and how all you know all HSI should be led by the framework that was built by um Chicano student Chicano Latino students here at UCR historically and at CSP with the intentions of passion and the intentions and the passions rooted in love and care but the responsibility doesn't fall on one space alone and serving this is something that's a collective effort and it shouldn't be done alone at all mm -hmm. and so it's something that resonates with me all the time that Brenda has told me and she taught me is this how we need to be with each other in love and in grief. And so that's something also when it comes to servingness and with HSIs that needs to also be consistently thought about. Final thoughts, Brenda. We'll kick it to you then. Yes. So aquí estamos con los pies en la tierra, ready right. to enact servingness from liberating practices, decolonizing practices. Y aquí estamos ready to enact servingness in non-academic spaces like centering grief in HSI, centering trauma-informed practices in HSI, centering healing practices in HSI. But first, we have to unlearn what we've learned. And we have to learn about our past in order to learn about our present. Woo! 
Thank you. And with that, thank you all for this beautiful time and space that you have shared with me. I, I love it. I've had a wonderful experience and I know our listeners have as well.